If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. It's time for episode 208 of the Wayne's Comics podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week, I get to interview Rafer Roberts, a writer who's a rising star and is taking over the Archer and Armstrong part of Valiant Comics. Rafer is probably best known for indie hits like Plastic Farm and the Carpool Buddies of Doom, which we discussed during the interview. But he's writing the new series called ANA The Adventures of Archer and Armstrong, which will be coming out in March, so be sure to order it. We talk about the characters and about how he got to take on this project. We also talk about his website and other things as well, so I'm sure you're going to want to hear what he has to say. Then everything wraps up with my yearly holiday tradition with the dark night before Christmas. As always, there's a lot to get to, so let's get on with the show. I'm talking today with Rafer Roberts, who is taking over Archer and Armstrong, a new ongoing coming from Valiant coming March, and who is an independent comics creator himself. How are you doing today, Rafer? Doing great, Wayne. How are you doing? Good, good. I have been reading interviews that you've been doing recently, and I was real fascinated to see that you've been reading Valiant. Of course, Archer and Armstrong is a Valiant creation. That you've been reading Valiant for quite a while. You read some. You were working in a comic shop in the early 90s, and you read some of the stuff then, and then you recently caught up on what they've been doing uh, in the last couple of years. What is it about Valiant that appeals to you? Well, what I really like about them currently right now is that the current universe isn't all that old, Mm -hmm. that a creator coming in still has a chance to really help define these characters, that there's not 30 years, 50 years worth of backstory that you have to deal with of previous creators working with, like coming in 
basically in the current Valiant universe, there's only been one previous writer for Archer and Armstrong. Mm -hmm. So there's really a chance for a a young writer or any writer to come in and really make their mark Mm -hmm. and to have real defining stories to tell about these characters because everything's fresh, everything's new. Mm -hmm. And really, that is the most exciting part. And second to that, there's not that many books that come out every month. I think Valiant puts out about eight books a month. Mm -hmm. So there's not too much conflict in a way. Like what I'm doing in Archer Armstrong, I don't have to clear my stories with seven different editors of different lines of books (laughs) or anything. Mm -hmm. It's very streamlined. It's basically like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. And it's very easy. Yeah, it's great. It's got all the benefits of a young, big superhero universe, Mm -hmm. but without all the baggage associated with it. Now, you're an independent creator yourself. You've done Plastic Farm. You've done Thanos and Darkseid. You've yeah. done, man, you've done things that, uh, Nightmare the Rat, who, well, he, he resembles a mouse that I've seen before somewhere, but we won't <laughs> talk about that. And there's all kinds of interesting things that you've been doing. So uh, you worked in a comic store uh, a long time ago, and now you're an independent creator. What about comics? Is it the whole industry that's gotten you interested and kept you going, you know, creating stuff in the comics industry? I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I've been reading comics since very young. I'm coming up on 40 now. I've probably been reading them since I was five or six years old. Came up reading all like the uh, Marvel stuff, a lot of Kirby, really a lot of early 80s, early well, mid to late 300s, like all the Claremont X-Men. So really like my early childhood came from the big superhero stuff. And then probably around high school, started discovering like all the undergrounds and independents, like Cerebus was a big one. I was growing up, left a big impact. Obviously uh, the Turtles, Mm -hmm. I was right in my wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. But luckily the comic store that I was shopping at at the time didn't separate it. Mm -hmm. The undergrounds and the indies were sitting there right next to uh, Superman and Fantastic Four. Mm -hmm. So everything, I never saw them as different Mm -hmm. like it's all comics it's Mm -hmm. all good so obviously as a kid i liked comics so i started making my own Mm -hmm. it took me about 30 years and i finally learned how to draw probably about two years ago (laughs) even though i've been making comics for about 15 um and i think i started to learn how to write them better about a year ago but yeah i can't imagine doing anything else Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where it's almost like a cathartic exercise for me when i'm sitting down at the drawing table if i haven't been drawing for a week i turn into a jerk like i just start losing my mind i start freaking out and then i'll go home and i'll draw for like 12 hours or until my hand falls off and i come out and i'm a human being again (laughs) i find the same thing is happening with the writing too it's Mm -hmm. basically because everything gets all jumbled up in my mind but Mm -hmm. I can get it down on the page, either writing it or drawing it, and I become functional again. Mm -hmm. And it's just nice that now I get to do it uh, and get paid for it. It's really great. It's like mental health plus the bonus of a paycheck. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of fascinated because you you like to write and you also like to draw. Do you have a preference between them? Would you like to do both at the same time? What would you prefer to do? Well, I can write faster than I can draw. Oh, but everybody and, can do that. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if you've seen some of the uh, preview artwork that's coming out for uh, A&A from David right. uh, LaFuente, and it is absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And I look at that, and I'm like, man, I am glad I'm not drawing this. <laughs> David is freaking incredible. Mm-hmm. And just even the pictures that I had in my mind while I was writing it, David is just blowing it out of the water. It's like, <laughs> it's crazy good. 
but I still enjoy drawing. I'm, mm-hmm. I don't think my drawing style would be right for these types of books in the first place. I mean, I get to do some of the backups and some covers, but my stuff kind of leans towards the stranger and darker. Mm-hmm. A lot of weird textures and mm-hmm. such mm-hmm. things like you like to enjoy staring at for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Starts moving on the page on you. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to look at your pages more carefully, I guess, and yeah. see if that happens to me. But I agree that David LaFuente's art is really great. It's got something of a cartoon anime kind of feel to it, but it's also got a stable feel to it as well. You know, the one thing I, I have to say right away, I noticed with the ears that he draws. Mm-hmm. He draws great big ears. Which, you know, is not a bad thing. I just got a kick out of the fact that both Archer and Armstrong both have pretty largely sized ears (laughs) for the characters. I don't know whether that's going to, you know, the old joke about when certain rulers in a country that were allied with overseas, when the wind would blow, a certain prince would get flown off the... (laughs) Because his ears were so big, and so I got a kick out of that. But it made me think a little bit about that when I saw that. But uh, he does a beautiful job, I do have to say. Yeah. It really it just bounces right off the page. Just great. Yeah. One of the things that strikes me is like just little things. You talk about the ears. I notice the way he draws feet and like mm-hmm. boots and shoes. And there's just like this nice, solid feel to it. So when mm-hmm. characters like just standing in a room, you can look at it and you can feel the weight of uh, that person standing there or when Archer is kicking a trash golem in the face. You can really sort of feel that kick just based on the way that he draws the feet and just the kinetic motion of the character going across the page. It's just amazing to Mm -hmm. me. He does beautiful stuff, so it's really good. that. Well, in a way, you know, when an artist and a writer get together and the combination is better than either of them could have done individually, well, that's what makes a comic great. In my opinion. So I, I'm looking forward to reading the book that's coming out in March. Now, I was uh, I was intrigued when I read that you had sent some place about the relationship, the friend relationship between Archer and Armstrong. And of course, Archer, why don't you describe who Archer and Armstrong are to people who may oh, yeah. read the book? Okay, well, Armstrong is a 10,000-year-old immortal drunken warrior poet. <laughs> He's run afoul of the secret cabal of secret organizations called the sect who've been trying to kill him for the last few millennia. Archer was raised by a very strict fundamentalist faction of that sect, trained since birth to go out and kill Armstrong. When the two meet up, Archer realizes, uh, discovers that his entire life, his upbringing has been a lie, that Armstrong is actually the good guy. And they team up and fight against all these dark and very strange secret organizations that are secretly controlling the world. Mm -hmm. So that's the basic premise of the story. But they both have such opposite personality traits that while they are friends Mm -hmm. and that they do work together to fight against these organizations, they, like Riggs and Murtaugh in Lethal Weapon Mm -hmm. or Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson in True Detective, Mm -hmm. they do so in a way where they're bickering like an old married couple the Mm -hmm. entire time. Mm -hmm. One of the things I've started to describe them with, it's like a Neil Simon play, Mm -hmm. like the odd couple if Felix Unger was a ninja (laughs) and Oscar (laughs) Madison was an immortal drunk. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. And when I, I was reading also where you called uh, Archer and Armstrong are the yin to each other's yang. 
Yes. Which I like. That's a good way to put it, too. I think all those things are really great because, and you're talking about the relationship about, between the two of them as friends. You know, the, the notion that opposites attract always is appealing. They learn from each other. As they go along, they start to understand each other. And Archer obviously has benefited from getting to know Armstrong better. So are you going to develop their friendship as time goes along? Are there going to be things that we haven't seen and places you want to take them Oh, absolutely. And you mentioned that Archer is already benefiting, like he's becoming more worldly, less strict in his morality of everything is black and white, where Armstrong is also benefiting in that over his many millennia on Earth, he's seen everybody he's ever loved get old and die, Mm -hmm. which has an effect on somebody. Mm -hmm. And the effect on him is it's closed him off. It's made him shut off his feelings and disconnected from other people and acted selfishly, Mm -hmm. not treated people like actual people but as temporary objects but his friendship with archer has brought him back Mm -hmm. he's starting to actually have real human emotions again treating people as people and having empathy for his fellow man Mm -hmm. which is great except he's been so out of practice at it that every attempt so far he's making to be a good human being is just clumsy and results in chaos and destruction (laughs) okay (laughs) so (laughs) So we'll be seeing a lot of that. It's a lot of, I like the phrase, the uh, road to hell is paved with good intentions. Ah. And I believe that that is the road that they are currently on. Mm-hmm. And uh, while their friendship is making them stronger and be able to fight their battles better, mm-hmm. it's having unexpected consequences as well. Oh, good, good. I like to see where friendships go. And, and that's one thing I really like about the fact that these guys are friends. Yep. You know about that because there's a lot of time. There was in like Star Trek Deep Space Nine, there was Bashir and O'Brien who were friends. And it was nice to see a friendship like that on television. You don't see much of that. Usually right. relationships are sexually based. And so for me to see some friends, but it was, it was real encouraging. It's one of the things I've always liked about Archer and Armstrong. It sounds like something that you're going to do with them is not go that direction. You're going to keep them more as friends. Oh, yeah. And even the strongest friendship will have periods of time where you can't stand the other person. You just can't even look at them. But they're your friend and they have your back and you have their back. And while you have your disagreements from time to time, you will always be there for the other person. And I think that's really the heart of Archer and Armstrong, Mm -hmm. that they will be there. Now, this is going to be an ongoing book. This will be monthly, is my understanding. Yep. Uh, this be, of course, this is your first, quote-unquote, mainstream book. What's it like to come in and get to do a monthly comic? Oh, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> um, when I first started pitching, I was really expecting, like, at best, like, maybe I'll get, they'll ask me to pitch for a one-shot, or maybe they'll ask me to pitch for a miniseries. But then right out of the bat, he's like, yep, okay, uh, Archer and Armstrong come up with a whole bunch of storylines. We're like, holy crap. <laughs> like, I really had to, like, ask a couple of times, this is an ongoing series that I'm doing. Okay. I'm, I'm right there. I can do it. Very cool. So, yeah, it was really exciting. I'm really freaking honored. I mean, like, I consider Archer and Armstrong, new title A&A, The Adventures of Archer and Armstrong. <laughs> it's like one of their Cadillacs and being, like, the guy on his first day. Like getting tossed the keys of the Cadillac from the boss. Like, all right, don't scratch it. (laughs) (laughs) See, it's good, though, because you have a different perspective than, let's say, somebody who's been in the industry writing, say, DC or Marvel for a long time. Because there are certain things you can and cannot do in Marvel. And you as an indie person, you haven't had those shackles on you. 
You've been able to think of other things that maybe other people wouldn't come up because they know they're going to be turned down. Does that help you as far as the writing goes? Can you go places where you'd probably, like DC or Marvel, may not go because of your indie comics background? Uh, I think so. That's probably part of the reason why I got hired in the first place. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the people who are working at Valiant, who are writing at Valiant, pretty much everybody comes from an indie underground starting point. You got like Jeff Lemire. I mean, he's doing stuff for DC now. Mm But he came from self-publishing and uh, more indie-based. Matt Kent. I don't know if Robert... I think Robert's been mainstream, but I, I think he's done some of his own stuff as well. But it's a lot of guys and girls who have come from the indie side of things. Mm-hmm. So there's that mentality where we're approaching the superhero genre with a more non-traditional style. Mm-hmm. So in my case... I'm kind of known as doing some like weird and messed up kind of things, but also some cute and adorable things in there as well. So I think that really helped out. Like in the first story arc, we're going inside Armstrong's magic satchel. Mm-hmm. It's, it's basically for people who are familiar with like Dungeons and Dragons, it's like a bag of holding. Mm-hmm. It's this big bag satchel that is infinite inside everything he's been throwing in there mm-hmm. for the past few thousand years. It's just been collecting, can reach in and grab it. But one of his objects gets gets lost. Mm-hmm. He reaches in and he can't find it. So he goes in mm-hmm. on a recovery mission. Mm-hmm. And the world inside is just this weird, strange, kind of Jim Henson-y, M.C. <laughs> Escher nightmare of a fantasy land, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and that comes from a lot of the other stuff I had been writing in the past. And there's some stuff in Plastic Farm that's similar. So it's right up along the same alley, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. Though, with David drawing it, I would claim that it's better illustrated now. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, like you also describe it, his satchel as a Home Depot designed by M.C. Escher. Yeah. Which is funny. I, that, right there, I heard that description. I went, okay, that's going to be real interesting. I'll never wait to see that. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. And there's a few pages, like, when I'm writing it, I describe these shelves that go from the floor to the ceiling and stretch out into infinity. Mm-hmm. And there's millions of them, and there's all on different planes and everything. I write that, I'm like, I wonder what David's going to do with that. <laughs> and it comes back, and it's he it just knocks it out of the ballpark. It's like wow. just drawing, like, I think he's probably drawn a million bottles <laughs> in just the first issue. There's at least 10,000. There's an ungodly amount. And I look at it like sometimes my wrist just hurts looking at the amount of detail that he's been putting into this strange fantasy land. Oh, very cool because there's all kinds of good things that you can do. Of course, Armstrong and Archer, they have very different backgrounds and things. And to have them interact and mm-hmm. to... Well, I've always thought it would be fun to switch them around as far as have Archer go to Armstrong's friends and Armstrong go to Archer's and see what kinds of things happen when their friends mix up with them. So I'm always interested to see what kinds of things people do with these two characters because they're so different, and yet they still get along and are great friends. Mm-hmm. So I like that. I don't, I don't know if you have thoughts about those that way or going or that, that direction at all, but I always think that's a good idea to, to send yeah. those people that way. Yeah, I mean, there's a third character. Archer's foster sister, Mary Maria, mm-hmm. makes an appearance in this first arc, mm-hmm. and she's the leader of the Sisters of Perpetual Darkness, who I affectionately describe as murder nuns. Uh, um, And basically, she's like the third wheel, but she's usually always out for herself. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to include a scene where it's just Armstrong and Mary Maria interacting with each other and how they both 
interact because a lot of the times it's Archer and Mary Maria mm-hmm. interacting, and when Armstrong's around, it's all three of them. But mm-hmm. to put those two by themselves for a few pages, I thought was very interesting and allowed me to show a slightly different aspect of both of those characters than I think people are used to seeing. But just for a little bit, and then they go back to being enemies. <laughs> okay. Now, my understanding is, is this book takes place six months after the last ongoing concluded? I wrote a few months. I'm not sure what it is officially. If it's if you've read six months, then it's six months. Well, somewhere in there. It's some, <laughs> okay. several months, so what, however long it is. And I imagine we'll find out what they've been up to while they've been separated, as far as that goes. Yeah, it's mostly, in my mind... At the end of Fred Van Lenty's run, he has them go back to their bouncer, where Armstrong was working as a bouncer at a bar. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, they've kind of just been there, licking their wounds and figuring out what they're going to do next, mm-hmm. which is where this series picks up, is that Armstrong learns that an old friend has passed away, mm-hmm. somebody that he's done wrong in the past. Mm-hmm. But his new found human emotions are leading him to go and try to make amends. Mm-hmm. And the thing he needs to find in the bag is something he needs in order to achieve that, to a gift to give to his old friend's widow to try to make things right. Mm-hmm. But of course, as I said before, the road to hell is paved with good intentions and it just unleashes chaos upon the earth. There's a great sentence or two that uh, I was reading. You said that the first story arc in the entire series, to some extent, is about Archer and Armstrong coming to terms with their own flaws and past mistakes. They're on the road to self-improvement, helping each other along the way, making the occasional pit stop to battle giant goat monsters, trash <laughs> golems, and mobs of drunks in Santa suits. That's Archer and Armstrong. Yeah, yeah, that sounds just like it. So yeah. you're the perfect guy, I think, to write this book because, man, that's the kind of stuff we've seen them go up against in the past. Oh, thanks. Yeah, even in the original series, there was a lot of weird surrealness to it, and they've always had a very unusual motley crew of opponents to go against, and I, I just want to try to keep that tradition alive. Now, how much of what we've seen in the past is going to impact on what we have now? I guess what I'm asking is, if you haven't read Archer and Armstrong before, do you need to get some background on it before you pick up the book? Or A&A, how's that going to work? Is it better to come in? It's, I imagine it's always better to know more about the characters, but you don't necessarily have to have read all the other uh, stories in order to come in on this one, can't do you? Yeah, well, I would never tell anybody not to go back and read any of the old <laughs> issues because they're great. Mm-hmm. They're absolutely great. But it basically is a uh, brand new start jumping on point. People with no previous knowledge of Archer and Armstrong can pick up ANA number one and will bring you right up to speed. Everything you need to know about the characters will be in the first issue. But I would, just because they're really good, I would say if you have the time and the uh, interest, go back and read both the original and Fred's run. They're great. Mm-hmm. But no previous experience required. Okay. Now, the first storyline is called In the Bag, of course, having to do with the satchel. How many issues is that storyline going to go on? That first storyline's four issues, and then I'm currently outlining the second storyline right now. Mm -hmm. I just got to get a couple of things approved, Mm -hmm. and then I'll probably just crank out those, not crank out those scripts, it sounds like hacking, but uh, (laughs) I'll I'll devote all of my time and energy, Mm -hmm. and I'll put out a very quality product. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But yeah, I've got a very rough outline in mind for at least the first 25 issues, just Well, that's how my brain works. I can't think small. Mm -hmm. 
it's like I start thinking of one thing and it leads to another. And mm-hmm. then my editor will point something out in my story. and like, what if you brought that back later? And I'll be like, that two seconds of suggestions. I just wrote eight issues in my brain. Thanks. <laughs> well, it, it seems like you're the great guy to do this because they are very off-center characters. One of the things, too, I'm interested that you refer to people about that if people who don't necessarily care for superheroes should pick up ANA and because it might give them a different sort of a perspective on this it, it says that you're mashing up Indian superhero in all this was that intentional is, is that what you intended to do when this came in when you had the opportunity well I don't think I can help doing it just from my own personal background of growing up with the Marvel style superheroes but also being a more indie centric creator that mashing up my two interests mm-hmm. um i can't help it if you were to tell me to do a straight up superhero comic mm-hmm. i'm not sure i could or i don't know if i would enjoy it mm-hmm. uh, and that might reflect in the final product mm-hmm. like if i'm doing superheroes it's gonna be a little weird sometimes <laughs> it's just where my interests lie it sounds trite but mm-hmm. i really feel like these books need to have a little bit more fun in them, even when they're mm-hmm. dark, even when they're like uh, the mutant massacre mm-hmm. from back in the day. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of people getting killed, but it was still at its heart a very strange, weird comic that had like these weird, strange mutants that lived in the sewer and these half robots with, I think one of them had uh, his entire lower body was a tank. Mm-hmm. was going through the sewer fighting these Morlocks, mm-hmm. which, I mean, it's dark in its execution, but it's still very strange. Mm-hmm. And that's what I very much enjoy about comics mm-hmm. and the type of comics I want to make. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to agree with you. I think that comics could be more fun. There was a time when, you know, you had to fight your brother's sister twice removed on your father's side mm-hmm. and all this <laughs> kind of stuff. It was just like, you'd read the stuff and you'd be going like, what in the world are they yeah. thinking of when they come up with this stuff? And also mutants were all good-looking teenage model types. Yeah. You know, and things like that. And I I like it when there's some humor involved with it. And there was a Greg Hurwitz who does a lot of crime novels. He actually did Batman for a little while and he was integrating humor in it was very smartly done and so for me i like a little comedy in there with it because real life we don't go along we crack jokes every once in a while you know what what makes you think a superhero or somebody who is an adventurer wouldn't do that occasionally i I don't get that one yeah i think there's a word for it like that gallows style humor (laughs) that people who have the worst jobs or see the worst things react like uh nurses Mm-hmm. The, and nurses and doctors, like to an outsider, mm-hmm. the jokes to each other are like horrifying. Yes. Or like soldiers on the front lines, <laughs> like their jokes are crazy, mm-hmm. terrifying, and dark. But mm-hmm. you have to have that humor as yeah. part of you. Otherwise, you would just go insane, I think. Right. It's how you deal with the dark is to laugh at it. Well, I used to work in an emergency room and registration. And right. There was a Christmas Eve, and we were there, and this... I won't go into all the details of the thing, but this one son of a father had come in and he was, you know, he had, he had crashed into a tree and basically he was dead. And they brought the father and the father crying all over the place. It was Christmas Eve, of course. And everybody's just all going. And the lady I was working with, she went back to help them. She came out and her hands were all bloodied from all the stuff that was going on. And, you know, they, all this thing all finally resolved. And the lady turned to me and said, well, time to go wash up. I got to eat dinner. 
<laughs> that's the kind of humor you're talking about. Yeah. This, you know, for her, well, you know, that was good. That was I, I dealt with it while it was there, and now it's time for dinner. You know, I'll go eat now. <laughs> yeah, you have to. Day. Otherwise, if you focus on just the horrific nature of what just happened, right. you're you're never going to be able to come to work another day. Right. So that's true. So now, A and A, The Adventures of Archer and Armstrong, number one, is scheduled to come out on March 16th. So we're a little ahead of the game, which is a good thing. So you can get to your store and let them know you want it. Yep. And it, it hasn't even been in the previews. That's probably two months. And probably in January, it'll be in there. So keep an yep, eye out. Yeah, it'll be in the next previews. Okay, so not the one that's on the shelf right now, but the next one. Oh, good. Okay, so we'll get that now. You're an indie creator as well. Are there other projects you're working on besides the A and A? Well, I'm always working on about three or four different projects at the same time, uh, various degrees of attention and focus. Obviously, I'm always working on Plastic Farm, my main book, my main self-published book, which issue 25 came out earlier this year, Mm -hmm. and issue 26 is partially done. I've been working more on Nightmare the Rat, which is the little demon rat steals people's teeth, tosses them up in the air, dances in the moonlight. Uh, All told in like an early 1900s Windsor McKay kind of comics aesthetic. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to finish that just so I have a comic that's completely done mm-hmm. that I can sell as like a single volume. Mm-hmm. There's a few other things that I'm working on that aren't in any state to be talked about okay. just yet. Mm-hmm. Not that they're secret, but there's really nothing to talk about mm-hmm. so much just yet. Well, that's a lot of good things. And of course, you have a website, PlasticFarm.com. Yep. So if people want to get and keep up with you and, and see what you're up to, there's a place to go to. And I noticed also on your website, you go to several conventions. You were at Heroes Con. You were at Baltimore. Mm-hmm. You were at New York, looks like. Yeah, New York, I didn't have a table. I was just walking around. Oh. Um, I hung out with mostly at Justin Jordan's table, mm-hmm. which was very nice of him to let me mooch off of him for so long. <laughs> we had put out a... Uh, because we did those uh, Thanos and Darkseid Carpool Buddies of Doom comics <laughs> together. And we had done a couple of the uh, backup stories for Valiant books mm-hmm. together. So it was nice enough to let me sit there and we could hand out some free copies of that mini comic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, 2015, I think, was the most number of shows I've done. Wow. I, th- I, I lost track. It's between 15 and 20 appearances, mm-hmm. which is a lot. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I really felt it mm-hmm. and okay uh and at, at following the last appearance that i had this year mm-hmm. like i looked at the calendar i saw it empty i'm like the amount of relief i felt <laughs> oh, um goodness. so 2016 while it seems counterintuitive mm-hmm. will probably have less shows okay. that i go to than in 2015 okay. even though i have a brand new book to promote mm-hmm. though i will be i don't know when this uh, podcast will be airing, so I don't know if the announcement will have been made before then, but screw it. I'm going to uh, C2E2 okay. uh, next year. That'll be my first time there, so that'll be awesome. Oh, great. Um, and there's a, a smaller show in, it's going to be in York, Pennsylvania, the mm-hmm. first weekend in March. Wow. Uh, three day show, so I'll be at that. Great. Um, then I'm planning on doing Heroes again, Baltimore, mm-hmm. probably go to New York Comic Con again, because mm-hmm. that's always a big madhouse. Uh, a lot of fun. Uh, small Press Expo. Okay. I'll, I'll continue to do that one. Mm-hmm. And then probably I want to try to do more store appearances, like smaller stuff, just like one-on-one mm-hmm. with people mm-hmm. rather than just the madhouse of like unloading all your crap from a car and setting up a big booth mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. having to fight crowds and everything. I just, I'd like to go and sit behind a table for like four hours and just talk to people mm-hmm. individually and actually have time to have conversations with people. It would be nice. So I want to try to do more of that this year okay 
Sounds very good. I do have to mention, there's on your uh, PlasticFarm.com, you were talking about Thanos and Darkseid, the carpool buddies of Doom. There's a wonderful cover on there that shows Darkseid driving the car, and he's looking at his watch, yeah. and he's gritting his teeth as he looks over as Thanos is over there kissing death. As he's going, he's, he's <laughs> you know, it's a... <laughs> So you don't expect that from those characters. So that was a that's what makes that wonderfully funny. So that's a good thing like that. Well, if you're going to be in C2E2, maybe I'll have a chance to stop by and say hi to you because I'm I'm hoping to be there too. Oh, great! So yeah, have you been to that show before? I have. I've been there before. Have you? I have not. I'm expecting it to be like a New York Comic Con of the Midwest. Would that be an appropriate? That's probably accurate because there's a lot of things going on. The biggest problem with C2E2 is traffic. Getting okay. around there, it's like 24 hours a day. The traffic is really just hustle and bustle. All the, you know, two in the morning, there's uh, the traffic's jammed. Yeah, I've been to Chicago before, and I, I like the city, but mm-hmm. that is one of the things I'm not quite looking forward to. <laughs> but I, I'm fine. I, I I hope they have Uber. I'll just take Uber everywhere. Because <laughs> it's a it's a good con. I don't want to mean yep. the con at all. Because it was there's a lot of things going on in there. There's all yep. kinds of. It's one of those conventions that has a lot of comics people in it. Because, like, if you go to San Diego, San Diego is about two-thirds media people okay. and a quarter, or maybe a, a, a last third about uh, comics people, unfortunately. It's leaning more and more towards media. But C2E2 is one of those ones that really tries to focus on the comics, so it's a good thing. Yeah, the, yeah, it's great. I've heard nothing but good things about friends of mine who've done the show before. I've been meaning to get out there for a while. It's just <laughs> I haven't had the opportunity, and it just so happens that the show is taking place the weekend following the release of ANA number one. So just coincidentally, it'll be a good time to go out there and meet some people who have just freshly read the uh, first issue. And Excellent. We'll have strong opinions about it one way or another. That'll be good. (laughs) It's always good to do that. And it's good to be able to interact with fans and find out what worked and what didn't with certain folks. Because a lot of people don't. They don't want to hear what didn't work. And I could mention people, but I won't. I only want to hear good news. Don't tell me bad news. But I would rather find out if something didn't quite work, tell me. Right. You know, those kind of things. And I'm sure you enjoy that, too. It it lets you know next time when you come to a situation, something like that, it helps you. Absolutely. Well, Rafer, it's good stuff. I can't wait to see Archer and Armstrong. Let's get the name right. It's A&A, The Adventures of Archer and Armstrong, which shouldn't that be three A's? A-A and A, triple A? Adventures of Archer and Armstrong? Or, no. Oh, well, I kind of like the fact that Armstrong is probably an alcoholic, mm-hmm. and the book <laughs> title is just okay. huge on the title, just AA. Okay. <laughs> Which is, so I'm looking at it like, all right, all right, that works for me. I did not put those together. I thought this is a good time. Well, much success with it, Rafer, and with all your other good things. I, I encourage people, buy the book, order it, and get it, and go to your PlasticFarm.com site and see something different. If you're in the mood for something that's a little unusual or a little different than what you've read before, go to PlasticFarm.com, and I think you'll enjoy what you find there. It's really great stuff. So, Rafer, you and David and all the people at Valiant, much success, and I can't wait to see it. March can't come fast enough. Oh, I'm right there with you. <laughs> People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, from flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast, so you can keep reading your comics. 
And now it's time for my yearly holiday tradition, the playing of Twas the Dark Night Before Christmas. This video is actually available on YouTube. If you go to that site and look up Twas the Dark Night Before Christmas, you'll find it there. It's from the folks who do I'm a Marvel and I'm a DC kind of videos. And there are plenty of them. I think this is one of their first ones. What you really need to know is that there are three voices. The first one is Alfred. The second one, of course, is Batman. And the third one is Santa Claus. And it has an interesting holiday message that I like to communicate. So without any further ado, Twas the dark night before Christmas. Twas the night before Christmas, and all through Wayne Manor, not a sound could be heard, especially not laughter. There were no stockings hung and no tree filled with lights, not a single Christmas decoration in sight. Master Bruce in his costume, and I in my robe, were up late on the lookout for evils unknown. I missed Christmas, but he said he didn't have time. None at all ever since the tender age of nine. It saddened me watching him year after year, never taking in joy, only dealing out fear. I say, sir. I pleaded with all of my might. Master Grayson is having a party tonight. Master Drake and Miss Gordon are sure to be there. Why not leave this bleak cave and enjoy some fresh air? I've outgrown Christmas, Alfred. He answered each year. You can go if you want to, but I'm needed here. I sighed and walked upstairs to turn off the lights. Merry Christmas, I said. His reply was, Good night. I walked up to my bedroom, got under my sheets, and prepared to drift off into sweet, peaceful sleep. Suddenly a noise woke me up with such a clatter, I ran to my window for more on the matter. And what should my wandering eyes happen to find but a man in a sleigh with eight reindeer... No, nine! I was off to tell Master Bruce what I had spied. The fat man in the sleigh was in for a surprise. But it was my surprise. He had beaten me there. Just how fast was this man who could sled through the air? Who are you? Master Bruce yelled, demanding to know. The fat man's belly shook as he laughed. Ho, ho, ho! Don't you know? He asked, giving his heels a click. Santa Claus, Father Christmas, Kris Kringle, Saint Nick. The Batman moved slowly, not wanting to harm him. Right, Santa, let me take you back home to Arkham. But the man disappeared. He was gone in a flash, leaving only some traces of old soot and ash. Suddenly he was back just as soon as he'd left. This man was indeed quite fast in spite of his heft. I've come here in peace, said the man. Have no fear, Batman said. Then explain to me why you've come here. The jolly man laughed. Christmas time is at hand. I bring gifts of joy to everyone in the land. The good people come to me with their requests for their heart's desire, and I do my best. I need and want nothing from you, Batman said. Go and take to the streets of Gotham with your sled. The man in red snickered and gave him a wink. The person I'm here for is not who you think. I've no gift for you, though you've done much good, it's true. But the present I'm bringing tonight, well, is you. For when it comes to Christmas, you just disappear. And you leave behind all of the friends you hold dear. Bruce said, Hold on a minute now. That isn't true. I give plenty of presents at Christmas. I do. Gifts of cash, food, drink, clothes, anything I can find. So then how can you say that I leave them behind? <sighs> Giving gifts is something for which you've had a knack. But the spirit of Christmas is still what you lack. 
Your gifts are all sent, none given face to face, and you've never even accepted an embrace. If you're given a gift, you just turn it away, denying your friends what their hearts want to say. I know all of their feelings, and they all know mine. Gifts are simply a symbol for which I've no time. Well, Christmas is a time for which I've always felt allowing others in. Let your defenses melt. My defenses are fine. Batman furrowed his brow. It's just a sign of weakness to let them go down. Santa sighed. I have never, as long as I've lived, had to teach tis better to receive than to give. I came here to open up your heart and your mind. You're determined to keep them both closed up, I find. You're just too filled with anger and pain and regret. Probably about both of your parents, I bet. You'd tell them you love them if you could somehow. Just like all of your friends want to tell you right now. Oh, the gift of allowing love to be expressed is one of the greatest gifts that one can get. For the past is behind us, the future unknown, and the moment is all that we have to call home. And so, now I leave you with this to think on. And with that, this St. Nicholas fellow was gone. The master was silent, he was lost in thought. I wondered if this was what that fat man sought. Alfred, he said sharply, giving me a fright. You mentioned something about a party tonight? Soon we were dressed and ready and out on our way. Surely this was a miracle, one had to say. He had come bearing gifts and was going inside when he stopped to look up because he had spied... That Santa Claus fellow! I exclaimed in the dark. Master Bruce simply smiled, looked up, and said, Thanks, Clark. And I heard Batman say as he walked out of sight, Merry Christmas to all. Well, at least for tonight. you're enjoying a wonderful holiday season and that you'll be back next week when I'll have another great interview with another terrific comics creator. But until then, keep reading your comics. Love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. 
the world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.